Let's take a moment to pray together. Now let's pray. Lord of life, we come to you. Lord, so much is contained in those few little words. The very fact that we can come to you, come before a, a holy and resplendent God with confidence, not in our own merit, but in the fact that your love has been set upon us as evidenced most clearly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, your pledge towards humanity of your good intention. Thank you that we can trust entirely in who you are and in what you have done. For you have shown us your true character in the face of Christ and all that he did for us, the pledge of your love, even unto death on a cross. So Lord, we can come to you today as we are, whether we're in good form or whether we're struggling, knowing that we are loved and valued and redeemed at great cost simply because of your love. So Father, meet us this morning where we are and bring us the word that we most need to hear because we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Holidays are wonderful. There's no denying that. But coming home has its own charms too. Getting back to your own bed and your own stuff. Not having the daily challenge of driving a left-hand drive automatic on the right-hand side of the road through intersections that look like someone dumped a gigantic plate of spaghetti onto the floor. Not having to puzzle over the different coins and notes when you pay for something. Coming home to your own place is good. But one of the things that I have to say I was less keen about was seeing what had happened to the vegetable patch and the garden in the three weeks that I was away. Been working quite hard at my wee patch this year uh, with some good results but as you well know if you're a gardener keeping the weeds down is a constant battle and I'd given it a good going over before we left but I might as well not have bothered because of course the weeds have taken over and it's going to take a good couple of afternoons to get things looking half decent again and the grass is just about halfway up my shins as well. Gardens as you know, need constant tending. And our inner life, our soul, our character is just the same. It needs looked after. The author Brian McLaren says this, he says, in a wild world like ours, your character left untended will become a stale room, an obnoxious child, a vacant lot filled with thorns, weeds, and broken bottles. Your deepest channels will silt in, and you'll feel yourself shallowing. You'll become a presence neither you nor others will enjoy, and you and they will spend more and more time and energy trying to be anywhere else 
well tended, your character will be a fragrant garden, an artist's home with walls and halls full of memories and beauty, a party with live music and good jokes and pleasant conversation in every corner. You'll be good and deep company for others and yourself. That's why through the ages people have tried to find ways to tend themselves, to do for their souls what exercise does for their bodies, or study for their minds. Folks, that's what the spiritual life is really about. It's not about rules and regulations and rituals. It's about taking time out with God to reflect on what kind of person you really are and what kind of person you're becoming. Doing the work of tending what's been given to you by God. And there's no point pretending. That is quite hard work. But it's necessary work if we're going to grow as people particularly people of faith. Over the years, lots of people have tried to put words to their experience as they've begun to take care of their inner life. And I've always found the work of the Dutch priest Henry Nguyen especially helpful on this. In his book, Reaching Out, Nguyen describes the spiritual life as having three movements, and we can see them on the screen. The movement from loneliness to solitude, which is about reaching out to yourself. The movement from hostility to hospitality, which is about reaching out to others. And the movement from illusion to prayer, which is about reaching out to God. And over the next three weeks, I'm going to look at each of these movements in turn. So this week, it's the movement from loneliness to solitude. And we're going to start with a picture. I wonder which of these people you think is lonely. The right answer, of course, is that we don't know. Loneliness isn't about where your body's at. It's about where your heart's at. It's all too easy to be lonely in a crowd, lonely in a marriage, lonely at a party, lonely in a church. I was down at the General Assembly quite a few years ago now, and on the Sunday, I took myself off to a church by myself, a church that I'd never been to in Edinburgh. And I sat through the service, and they invited folk to stay behind for tea. So once it was over, I went wandering off, looking for the hall, only to discover that tea and coffee were served in the church. So I went back in five minutes late and sat down with my coffee, hoping that somebody might notice me. But by that time, everybody was already in their little groups, chatting away, and short of lurking awkwardly on the fringes of their conversations like a weirdo, I couldn't think of any way to break in. 
So after five minutes, feeling excruciatingly awkward and alone, I decided it was best just to get up and go. I literally couldn't take it anymore. And we aside to the congregation this morning, don't let that happen in this church. Don't assume that someone else will take the initiative with the visitor. If you spot somebody new, it's your responsibility to do something about it. If this church is your home, then that makes you the host. And hosts have responsibilities to their guests, not least to welcome them. But I digress. What was going on with me as I sat in that pew? Well, if you could have heard my inner monologue, it would have, he- it would have sounded something like this. I would really like you to notice me. I'd really like you to affirm my worth as a human being by inviting me into your conversation, which I feel I can't enter as a stranger. It's very hard sitting here wanting to connect, but not knowing anybody, not knowing how to get in. As human beings, we have a profound need to connect, to have meaningful interaction with other people, but sometimes that need is just not met, and it feels awful. You know what that's like if you've been the new mum at the school gates, or the new person on the team, or the friend of a friend of a friend who's ended up at a party where everybody else seems to know each other. You know what that's like if you live on your own and you find yourself wishing every now and again that you'd someone to come home to. You know what that's like if you're living with someone but your relationships got to the stage where days and weeks go by without a word or a touch of genuine intimacy. You know what it's like when the phone doesn't ring and no one calls round and no one asks how you've been and no one misses you when you're not there. You know loneliness. We all do. We all have this profound need to be seen and known and valued by others. And it hurts when that doesn't happen. And that's why we spend a good deal of our lives trying to bury our loneliness. We can't bear to face it and ask what it means. So we do our level best to pretend it's not there. We bury it under mountains of work, piles of possessions, hours of entertainment and distraction. Fed up with the disappointments of human interaction, we spend more and more time gazing at screens, screens that become ever more small and portable so we're never without them and never have to contemplate the possibility of spending a moment alone with our thoughts. Some bury their loneliness by reading the fridge or hitting the bottle or surfing for pornography, but it always surfaces again. We can't escape our essential aloneness, says Newman. It's right there at the heart of who we are And no friendship, nor love, nor community, nor analgesic can ever fully take that loneliness away. 
it's somehow part of who we are. So we have only two choices, Nguyen says. We can try to bury our loneliness or we can befriend it and change it into something better, namely solitude. If loneliness is the experience of being alone and anxious, solitude is the experience of being alone and at peace. And that's something that most of us will have to cultivate in our lives because our lives are just so full on we've forgotten how to do it. When did you last sit in your own company for half an hour without a screen or a phone or another person as a distraction? When did you last take half an hour to sit down and process what's been going on in your life to try and get some perspective on things? We need that kind of time to manage the garden of our lives because living's messy. And if we don't tend our souls, they'll get overrun and unmanageable. Jesus teaches us this in his words and in his practice. One of the constant refrains of the gospel writers is that Jesus took himself off to a solitary place. He had periods of intense activity, but he always punctuated them with spells of intentional rest. In this morning's reading that Marian brought to us, the disciples have returned after their first assignment, and they're full of stories about what's happened to them. But so much is happening round about that they don't even have time to eat. So Jesus intervenes. He says, let's go off by ourselves to some place where we will be alone and you can rest for a while. So they set out in a boat by themselves to find a solitary place. A solitary place. A place where your aloneness stops being a worry and starts being a blessing. Where the chatter of other people's lives is stilled long enough so you can listen more closely to what's going on in your own life. A place where some of what's broken within us begins to mend and find its strength again. I had a friend once who helped me find a solitary place when I really needed one. And I found it between here and here. Sitting in a comfortable chair with the telly off for about 15 minutes every evening. And I visited that place pretty consistently for about six months. You're too busy, she said, and you're running and empty. Get some time alone and just keep company with God. Don't say anything at first. Don't try to pray. I know you're struggling with prayer. Just make your companionship and your attention the substance of your prayer. And I found that so hard. 
It took me about a week before I could sit still for any more than a couple of minutes without all kinds of stuff flooding through my mind. But it got easier. And in time, it became a blessing. Because in that place, I began to get God's perspective on my life and God's strength to help me live it. I became more at home with myself. And I returned from those times of solitude with more to give of myself to the folk around me. I discovered that creating space for solitude in your day actually makes you more available for other people. It's a paradox, but it's 100% true. Having centered yourself in God, you're better able to give of yourselves to others. The disciples in this morning's story didn't get the rest they needed. They went off to that quiet place with Jesus, but when they got there, the crowds had followed them. Now, if I'd been Jesus, I would have been pretty hacked off at that. But what does Mark tell us? He says that when Jesus got out of the boat and saw the large crowd, his heart was filled with compassion for them. He didn't see them as an inconvenience, a pain in the neck spoiling their plans. His soul was larger than that, better tended, so strengthened by his own spells of solitude with the Father that he understood that his real work was often in the interruptions. I could do with some of that wisdom in my life, and I'm guessing you could to the beginning of living a spiritual life is the realization that we have a soul and that it needs looking after loneliness is one of the things that wakes us up to the painful reality of our soul's need solitude is the place where those needs are understood befriended, and put in divine perspective. It's where we keep company with God for a while and let Him show us what needs tended, what needs planted, what needs weeded within us. This is the way to grow, it seems. And there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. As Brian McLaren says, you can't take an epidural to ease the pain of giving birth to character. But character, Christian character, is what will be birthed in us if we make the choice not to bury our loneliness in activity or in distractions, but instead let it bed down in the womb of creative solitude. Amen. And thanks be to God for His Word to us this morning.